0: right now on Matter of Fact, taking the temperature on the country's health.
1: How are you doing?
0: Fewer jobs plus smaller paychecks equals a lot more
1: stress. I lost everything. I lost the breadwinner for my family. I lost my protector. I lost a big part of me. And they live
0: on land no one wanted then, but everyone wants now.
2: I am so spiritually connected to this place.
0: How the Gullah of South Carolina are fighting to preserve their homes, and their history.
3: Plus, you can't tell my story without understanding the role of luck. And luck shouldn't be a prerequisite. The incredible story that Westmore needs to tell the world,
0: and what caused birds to change their tune.
4: I'm Soledad O'Brien, welcome to Matter of Fact. You probably know about the battle in South Carolina between Republican Congressman Lindsey Graham and his Democratic challenger, Jamie Harrison. According to recent polls, Harrison, who was once considered a long shot, is in a dead heat with Graham. But there's another fight in South Carolina, a turf war you might not have heard of. A battle for land and legacy. In just a few days, hundreds of properties in one county will be auctioned off. Dozens of those properties belong to the Gullah Geechee people, descendants of slaves who still live on the Sea Islands, which stretch from northern Florida to North Carolina. Most of the land was bought by or given to freed slaves after the Civil War and has been passed down for generations. As correspondent Jessica Gomez tells us, some say during the middle of a pandemic, the tax sale should be delayed.
5: Along the shores of St. Helena Island and surrounding the marshes of South Carolina's low country are whispers of the past, the stories of those who've lived here for generations. My
2: grandmother, she loved
5: trees. Cynthia Welch trying to keep her grandmother's yard and legacy alive. Mary Brown was the granddaughter of freed slaves who bought their home in the late 1800s.
2: They worked hard to own this land. To get this and to pass it on and on her dying breath she begged us you know please don't sell it
5: welch who was furloughed from her job at a hotel because of covid-19 couldn't catch up on past due property taxes and was notified this summer her home would go to auction
2: and i was lived in fear every single day that this house could be taken away
5: Welch, one of hundreds of delinquent landowners in Beaufort County, whose property is scheduled to go to next week's annual tax sale. After the auction, that delinquent property owner has one year to pay back the highest bidder with interest. If they can't afford it, they lose their property for good. Under mounting pressure to delay the auction until next spring, County Treasurer Maria Wall says, unless state law is changed, the county would also be forced to collect this and next year's taxes as well. So, that delay of the tax sale comes, in some cases, at a very steep cost to the property owner. We met Teresa White, head of the nonprofit, the Pan-African Family Empowerment Network, at the historic Penn Center. It was one of the first schools for freed West African slaves. The Gullah Geechee, as they're still known, went on to own much of the coastal land in Beaufort County.
4: Some of these families are living on land that their families have owned since the 1860s. They have never lived anywhere else.
5: An effort now to keep that land in the hands of the Gullah people. While retaining much of their culture here, they're rapidly losing their property. Much of it passed down from generation to generation, often with no legal deed, making it complicated and costly for heirs to develop and vulnerable to outside investors.
0: And the next thing you know, there's a big, fabulous resort, a subdivision with a gate, with a gate around it.
5: Just to the south on Hilton Head Island, once mostly Gullah owned, there are now multi million dollar homes and resorts a stark contrast to nearby historic Gullah neighborhoods. For many here, the property taxes have become unaffordable and the pandemic making things worse.
2: Gullah is an opportunity for us to uh, have, you know, food for the soul.
5: Hilton Head restaurant owner Tim Singleton is back in business after shutting his doors for three months. Once donating to help save other Gullah land, He's now the one delinquent on two other properties. Now I got a taste of what people go through, whether it's the stress and anxiety of losing your home or losing your property. The conversation we're having about property taxes. Republican State Senator Tom Davis represents much of Beaufort County. Late last month, he authored a bill that was passed in the state legislature, giving those whose properties were auctioned off last year a 12-month extension to save them.
4: The idea there is just is to give these families time to recover from what COVID nineteen may have inflicted upon them in terms of economic status. Why the
5: decision not to delay the October twenty twenty auction, though?
4: You've got you know county and local governments that depend on tax revenues, um, and that would be extraordinarily disruptive.
6: I am delighted to be able to present you this check. Leaving Four. Teresa
5: White and her nonprofit scraping together last minute donations to save as much land as they can.
1: I'm just ecstatic right now because I, I was worried so much till I was just getting sick because I didn't know how I was gonna pay for this.
2: And I always say there's always an angel somewhere.
5: Cynthia Welch receiving the same relief with just days to go, saving her grandmother's legacy for now.
2: I think she said, telling me, what, good job, Cynthia. You kept the house, good job.
5: In Beaufort County, South Carolina, for Matter of Fact, I'm Jessica Gomez.
4: The tax sale moves forward on Monday. There are growing calls to cap property taxes on historic Gullah Geechee land. Senator Davis says that's something he's going to look into when the legislative session resumes come January.
0: Next on Matter of Fact.
1: I got COVID, my father got COVID, my mother.
0: How are you coping during the crisis?
1: Plus, three,
0: two, one, ready to launch and liftoff, a ballot from beyond our borders. Plus, can you train people to be less biased?
4: Welcome back to Matter of Fact. We've reached a grim milestone in the COVID-19 pandemic. The virus has killed more than a million people worldwide. We wanted to look at the people behind the deaths and how just one life lost touches
1: so many other lives. Okay, come through here. My name's Elizabeth Martinez. I'm 36 years old. I am currently a cleaner. You see a lot of African-American, Hispanic doing maintenance. We have to risk ourselves so other people feel comfortable. I got COVID, my father got COVID, my mother also got COVID, my brother got COVID, and my other sister got COVID, like, six people in my family. My father, he was in the hospital for, like, almost three weeks. And then he passed away April 16. I lost everything. I lost the breadwinner for my family. I lost my protector. I lost a big part of me. He made sure my kids were okay. He was my babysitter. He was was everything to me. I think people have to learn that to don't take life for granted. In my community, people have lost jobs. My my brother is laid off. We're in the United States. This is the richest country. But then once again, it's the highest in Corona death. We need more guidance through correct information. We have to wear masks and we have to protect ourselves in order to protect the people that we love. How are you doing?
4: According to a recent Kaiser Family Foundation study, nearly half of all American adults say COVID-19 is affecting their mental health. From anxiety to irritability, to feelings of hopelessness. While pandemic stresses are new, many people with chronic mental health challenges have been without their normal network of support, making matters in their lives worse. I recently talked about the emerging mental health crisis with Dr. Vale Wright, Senior Director for Healthcare Innovation with the American Psychological Association. Dr. Vale Wright, so nice to talk to you. So, a couple of data points from uh, an APA survey 50% of parents um, who were told, you know, rate between 1 and 10 your stress level. And they said they're somewhere between 8 and 10. These are people with kids. Uh, another survey question found that 70% of people say the government's response to coronavirus is actually causing them stress. These numbers are quite high. Are you surprised?
6: Honestly, we were shocked. We figured that parents with kids under the age of 18 were experiencing a brunt of the stress, but we didn't realize just how severe it was. And what was really interesting about it was that it was both fathers and mothers. And when you think about the state of the nation, again, it was... Universal. It was not just Democrats or Republicans. It was across the spectrum. Everybody is concerned about how the federal response is impacting um, how we handle COVID right now. How is that stress that you're
4: talking about, and maybe not just stress in parents, but stress in, in people across the board, how is it
6: manifesting itself? People often report things like headaches and muscle tension, stomach problems, fatigue, along with irritability and frustration, maybe losing their temper, having a hard time sleeping or eating too much. These are really our body's way of responding to stressful situations. And while it's totally normal, we also need to make sure that we're managing it in an appropriate way so it doesn't become something more serious.
4: So what do you recommend for people who are struggling?
6: We really recommend that you focus on the things that are inside your control, and that's really your thoughts, your feelings, and your behaviors, and in particular what we refer to as the foundational four, which is making sure you're eating healthy, you're getting adequate sleep, that you're staying active, and you're really maintaining social connection. That's often virtual right now because of our situation, but it's really critical because we know that that's a huge reducer of stress. In order to do those four things, you got to have a routine. Routines bring structure and stability to our life, and they actually help us be more effective at what we're doing.
4: How are you advising parents on how to see the signs of struggle in their kids? Because I don't think it's often
6: the same as adults. Younger adults and children don't have the same coping reserves that adults have, and they really rely on structure and routine to help them feel safe and secure, and they've lost all that. So it's really important that we... Talk to our children ask them questions be honest and open and developmentally appropriate with them and then model calm coping behavior because they'll pick up on our anxiety and our stress um, very quickly the george floyd case which
4: obviously is not part of coronavirus but has kind of layered on top of the whole entire coronavirus kind of window we're in has brought incredible stress to very specific communities. So for people of color, are you seeing in your data increased stress from that combined with coronavirus?
6: We are certainly seeing people Um, particularly individuals from communities of color, reporting significant amounts of stress about both the racial injustice, but also disproportionate amounts around coronavirus. Compared to other individuals not from communities of color, they're reporting higher stress related to being able to get healthcare resources, just your basic day-to-day things like food, as well as really a high amount of fear of getting the virus and or their family getting the virus. Dr. Wright, thanks for your time, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: Coming up. How do astronauts vote from space? But first, good people can be biased. Would you take a test to measure your bias blind spot?
4: As a matter of fact, we have never shied away from tough conversations and with America's division so apparent, we're expanding a bit to have difficult conversations about race and social justice. We're launching a series of live streamed digital events called the Matter of Fact Listening Tour. The series will explore issues more deeply and introduce you to new voices and new ideas and new approaches. Our first episodes look at the hard truth about bias and how it's woven into poverty and the lack of economic opportunity. Wes Moore is the CEO of the Robin Hood Foundation, one of the largest anti-poverty forces in the nation. He's a best-selling author, a combat veteran, and a social entrepreneur. I spoke to him for the listening tour. Wes Moore, nice to see you. So good
3: to see you always. So
4: your very famous book was called The Other West's Moore and it was about you, but not about you really. It was about another guy named Wes Moore, but really it was a look at access and opportunity. Tell me a little bit about that book.
3: So that book really started where the the day after I'd received the Rhodes Scholarship, how the Baltimore Sun was writing this article about, my life and my journey and how this local kid who had challenges coming up but now is getting the scholarship to go overseas and go study. And At the same time, they're writing a whole series of articles about four guys who walked into a jewelry store and in the process of a botched armed robbery, uh, an duty police officer was killed. And one of the people who the police were looking for, who was actually captured and tried and convicted for this crime, was a guy whose name was also Wes Moore. And we were from the same areas. We were around the same age. We both grew up in single-parent households. We both had academic and disciplinary troubles coming up. And the more I got to know him, the more we became friends, the more I began to realize how quick as a society we are, we are so fast to either congratulate or castigate Without ever really being able to understand dynamics and pathways and journeys and opportunities, and, and as, uh, as Wes said, the fact that in many ways we end up becoming products of our expectations.
4: Today you serve as the CEO of Robin Hood, and um, you're focused a lot, Robin Hood is focused a lot on poverty and ending poverty. Explain to everyone how race intersects with poverty.
3: Race is the most predictive, most, most predictive indicator for life outcomes that we will see. Everything from income and wealth to educational attainment to maternal mortality, right? The fact that, you know, the fact that we have a 10 to 1 racial wealth gap uh, in, in this country is not because one family worked 10 times harder. The fact that, that right now, true statistic, that a, a white person who was recently released from prison has a better chance of getting an entry level job than a a black person without any type of criminal involvement. And so all these things I think when we're talking about what is the correlation between race and poverty or when people say, oh, it's not race, it's poverty. You can't separate the two. If you're looking at not just the history that we then have to contend with, but the still baked in infrastructure that we still have to try to overcome.
4: Wes Moore, so nice to see you. It's
3: so good to see you.
4: If you're wondering how to get ready for the listening tour, here's what we'd like you to do. Go to the Project Implicit website, implicit.harvard.edu. Take the Implicit Bias Association test. We talk about the test on the show. And explain why all of us have blind spots when it comes to race. The listening tour, the hard truth about bias, will live stream on matteroffact.tv on Thursday, October 8th at 7 p.m. Eastern.
0: NEXT, HOW DO YOU VOTE WHEN YOU'RE 200 MILES ABOVE EARTH?
4: WELCOME BACK, EVERYBODY. HAVE YOU FIGURED OUT HOW YOU'RE VOTING? ABSENTEE? IN PERSON? WELL, FOUR AMERICANS PLAN TO CAST A BALLOT WHILE IN ORBIT. THEY'RE ASTRONAUTS, OBVIOUSLY, AND PENDING NO LAUNCH DELAYS, THEY'LL ARRIVE AT THE SPACE STATION BETWEEN OCTOBER 14TH AND HALLOWEEN, JUST BEFORE THE ELECTION. According to NASA, it's a pretty straightforward process. It's done by email. Before flying, the astronauts fill out a federal postcard application, which is the same form that members of the military use for absentee voting while deployed. NASA's Mission Control Center emails the astronauts their ballots on election day. The astronauts complete the ballot, email it back to NASA, which then sends the ballots to the various county clerk's offices. NASA has allowed voting from space since 1997
0: still ahead pitch perfect why the coronavirus helped birds sing better songs really
4: and finally remember the first few months of the shutdown the streets were empty the air was clear and it even seemed like you heard more birds chirping well That wasn't your imagination. Researchers studied sparrows in San Francisco in April and May and heard this. Pretty cool, right? During the shutdown, the birds sang more softly and faster and with a lower pitch compared to recordings from 2015. And even though the birds were quieter, their songs traveled twice the distance. That's because they didn't have to compete with humans. But now that we're slowly returning to our routines, scientists want to see if next year's chicks will learn the songs of Shutdown or sing a different tune. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and I'll see you back here next week.